You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This morning, I am so thankful that it is finally October 15th. I have been looking forward to this Sunday morning for many, many weeks. I've been prayerful about what the Lord would do in our midst as my friend Ricky Garner is going to come this morning and lead us. Ricky is one of the pastors at New Days Community Church, maybe uh, a mile due north of here, right? And um, Ricky is a dear brother in the Lord, loves to teach God's word, loves to love God's people. And so I trust that you're going to be absolutely blessed as Ricky comes and continues our series through the parables. So Ricky, please come and lead us. Thank you, Eric, for those kind and somewhat deceptive words about me. <laughs> well, the word of the Lord in Psalms 133 and 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I am feeling the unity in this place this morning. Okay, so let me just say something. You make me nervous when you just look at me and don't say nothing. Let's loosen up a little bit. Somebody after the morning service, one of the, one of the awesome young ladies walked up to me and said, I was really wanting to say something, but I, nobody else was. I said, you should have been the one. Just say something. No, no, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> so it is a blessing to be with you this morning. I have been also praying and looking forward to October 15th. Uh, Eric, I've been, I've had many sleepless nights, and it's your fault. <laughs> but I am so happy to be here with you today. Uh, my wife is here. Uh, would you wave your hand, Jane? She's with me. Um, amen. We, uh, this past May, we celebrated 31 years of marriage, and I know she doesn't look like it, but I do. <laughs> And my son, Simeon, is here with us, and we are. Uh, raise your hand, son. <laughs> we're, we're, again, we're delighted to be here with you this morning. I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me as we read this passage from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And when you're there, you'll find the following words. The scripture says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves, fell among robbers uh, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Amen. Hey, that's all right for you to say it back. <laughs> so from this, I understand that you've been in the parables, and Eric shared with me that he's been preaching through the parables for a little while now, and uh, I just hope my prayer is that I don't mess this up so bad that he has to spend the next two months fixing what I messed up. But I'd like to talk to you this morning with this question in mind. Uh, how much better could we be? How much better could we be? Uh, by this time in this book written by Luke, by this time, uh, Luke records that quite a few extraordinary things have happened in the life of Jesus. Luke records that Jesus has come down through 42 generations. He's been born of a virgin. He then is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Luke records that after being baptized that he, he overcomes being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He does that. Then Luke says that he goes about healing the sick, and he even raises the dead. Can you imagine? Not only does he raise the dead, he feeds the hungry. He does all of these things. He even preaches what we know today as the Sermon on the Mount, where he covers so many uh, relevant issues and topics as it relates to life. From there, Luke says he transitioned and he takes Peter, James, and John with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. Then we arrive at Luke chapter 10, and in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is reaching the climax of his earthly ministry. And as he reaches the climax of his earthly ministry, in the first part of Luke chapter 10, we find out that Jesus commissions either 70 or 72 additional disciples. We don't know. Uh, it depends on which version of the Bible you read. One says, some say 70, some say 72. And he commissions them, and he sends them out to do some things. He sends them out, number one, to evangelize. He says, go into these cities and tell them, preach to them, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, tell them that. If they don't listen, just leave, shake the dust off, keep going. Don't spend too much time if they won't listen to you. He says, but tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, also, while you're there, while you're in these houses and these homes preparing the way for me, he says that I also want you to heal the sick. Heal the sick while you're there. Do all of these things and share with them that I am coming behind you. So then what happens is, is that they go out, and when they go out, they realize that what Jesus told them would happen actually happens, and it's almost as if they're blown away because when they come back, 
They are excited, and the text says that they're joyous, overjoyed about what they saw. They come, and they're excited and overjoyed, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we realize we're excited because even the demons are subject to us by your name. They're excited. They're overjoyed. Now, y'all getting quiet on me again. I'm <laughs> laugh or do something, wave your hand, something, twitch. <laughs> they said, Jesus, we're, 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 do, do, you got to hear this. You, 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 you wouldn't believe it. The demons, the spirits are subject to us, normal guys, when we invoke your name. Somebody say amen right there. So Jesus says, Jesus, Jesus calms them down. He says, hold on, y'all chill out, relax. He says, it's good that that happened. He said, but what I really want you to be overjoyed about, what I really would, would have you to be excited about is that your name is written in heaven. That, that, there we go now. We are right now. He said, and, 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 and watch this. We ought to be excited about the same thing. Don't get overly excited about the works that we're allowed and able to do, but be excited that our name is written in heaven. And Jesus says, get excited about that. And it is against this backdrop and in this context that Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. He gives us this. Uh, so with the Lord's help in your prayers, I'd like to attempt to uh, right now dip my bucket in this oil well and prayerfully with your help and the Lord's help come up with some fresh water from this text. I'd like to, if you'd allow me to for the next few minutes, I'd like to examine the lessons we learn from the main characters in this parable. Let me just give you a heads up before we do that. Uh, the first three lessons that we're going to learn are going to be bad. <laughs> the first three are going to be bad. Let me just warn you right now. But the last one is where I want to hear a lot of amens. Because <laughs> the last one is the good one. The last one is the good one. First of all, first of all, let's take a look at this lawyer. We find this lawyer, he is described and talked about in verses 25 through 29. I'll just quickly, I want to just read it again. So we can find out what this lawyer is all about. And behold, a lawyer or a scribe stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This lawyer, let's look at him um, from this story. Uh, he, 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 he stands to ask a question. What can we learn from what we see in the text about this lawyer? By this time in Jesus' life, the scribes and the Pharisees have now developed a great hostility towards Jesus. He posed, seemingly he posed this threat to them. Uh, they felt their positions of prominence in the community was being challenged by Jesus. Uh, also, they found his teachings to be contradictory 
to the things that they were given to, to their customs and their traditions. They didn't like him because he associated with sinners. He, convo he cavorted with sinners and he kept company with them and he seemed to genuinely love and care about everybody. Uh, uh, unlike them, he, he seemed to have this genuine love and concern for everybody. Because of these things, they plotted to bring Jesus down. They were, they were going to bring him down if it meant the life of them, and they decided they were going to bring him down one of two ways, either by disgrace or by death or by both. They were, this group of religious leaders were committed to bringing Jesus down. This lawyer or this scribe that is listed, that is talked about in the te text, is a part of this group. So with impure motives... This lawyer who seems to have overheard what Jesus has been talking about with the 70 or the 72. When Jesus says, be concerned about your name being written in heaven, this, this scribe is present. And I don't want to keep using the word lawyer because I know there's some lawyers in the room. And I don't want y'all to feel bad. So let's say scribe. Amen. They were, they were not lawyers as we know them to be today. They simply knew the word of God and they recited and quoted and they were adept at understanding what the law was as it related to the law of Moses that God had left for them. And so this man decides as he's overheard Jesus talking to his 70 or 72 about heaven, he decides to stand with impure motives and interject a question. He asks the question. He says, teacher. He calls him teacher. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? Because he knew that this scribe knew the law inside and out. And I submit to you today that one thing we've got to do before we do anything else, before we try to add anything or go higher in anything, is really get a firm foundation and understanding of what we already have. We already have the word of God. He's already given us his divine revelation. He has already spoken to us. And all we've got to do to do to please God is to do what he's already told us to do. It's written in his book. And he says to the scribe, what does the word say? And he responds. This man who does not like Jesus, who has impure motives, he responds. He says to Jesus, uh, in fact, before we even discuss what he said, let's talk about the fact that his hope in asking this question was to derail Jesus, was to uh, reveal Jesus as he, as, and expose him as a fraud. He thought that if he asked this question, okay, smart guy, you know, what, 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 what is it that we ought to do to inherit eternal life? He, he figured that Jesus would get tripped up. And so he asked him this question with impure motives, but Jesus threw it back to him again. He he, 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 he tricked him. And so, but, but watch this. Uh, we know from this scribe's initial response that he is, he, he's guilty of some things. We've already uh, decided that. But one thing he's not guilty of is he's not guilty of ignorance. He's not guilty of that. He, he's a smart guy. 
He, he's, we know it from his initial response, he, that he's, he's a smart guy because he, he responds this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, as, and your neighbor as yourself. He is a bright guy. He gives the right answer. And I submit to you today that he should have just shut up right there. He should have left it alone right there. But because he was who he was, because he had impure motives, he doesn't leave it alone right there. He continues on uh, with it. So he is not guilty of ignorance, but we find out from his next response that he is guilty of arrogance. Because Jesus responds and then uh, he's seeking to justify himself, to make himself look good, to back up his belief and to help him to, to, to firmly believe that he wanted to expose Jesus. He seeks to justify himself. He tries to trip Jesus up again and he says, okay, smart teacher, You've, I've, I've heard what you said, so then who is my neighbor? He thought that Jesus would have the same outlook on life that he had, and he thought that Jesus might just say, uh, you, your neighbor are only the Jews. Your neighbors are only the other Pharisees. Your neighbors are only the, the other scribes. Your neighbors are only folks that look like you. Your neighbors are only folks that live where you live. Your neighbors are only people that uh, uh, have ascended uh, uh, career-wise to where you have ascended that, that, that are like you. But Jesus fools him. Jesus, he, Jesus is, I mean, such a smart guy. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Fritz, he does this. He says, he, he doesn't answer the, he goes roundabout. He doesn't answer the question. He launches into this parable that seems to make no sense at all. It doesn't, it, it, he doesn't answer the question. He just launches into this parable. Uh, we must be mindful that arrogance and pride are often deadly. It's often a deadly concoction. It's awfully a deadly mixture. And this scribe was guilty of being arrogant. He saw himself higher than he actually was. He had an overly high opinion of himself, and he thought he was going to expose the master. He didn't know what he was up against. Arrogance and pride will defeat you every time a story is told. Of three people who are on an airplane traveling somewhere, there was a Boy Scout, there was a doctor, and there was a computer expert. The plane began, they were on a private plane, the plane began to have problems. It began to experience turbulence, and the pilot came on the intercom and said, Prepare yourself because the plane is about to go down. The problem was, as the plane began to descend and, and, and get ready to crash, the problem was that there were only three parachutes on the plane. The pilot knows this, and the pilot runs out of the cockpit, and he says to the other three passengers, he says, I am married, and I have four children, and I'm taking one of these parachutes. He takes a parachute, puts it on, and jumps out of the plane. The computer expert, the computer whiz, speaks up next and he says, hey, listen, I'm a smart guy. And I have wisdom that the world needs and I have got to take one of these parachutes and get off of this plane. So he takes parachute and he jumps off the plane 
And then the minister speaks up and he looks at the Boy Scout and he says to the Boy Scout, he says, listen, I've lived a long life. I've enjoyed myself. I've lived a long and prosperous life. He says, you're still young. He said, you take the parachute and jump off and I'll just go down with the plane. The little Boy Scout looks up at the minister and he, with, with an innocent look and he says, that's all right. Don't worry about it. The computer guy just took my knapsack <laughs> and jumped off the plane. <laughs> Said all that to simply say that arrogance and pride is a deadly mixture, and if we're not careful, it will always lead us to death. We have to be careful. We learn this from this scribe, from this Pharisee. Next, though, I'd like to take a look at this nameless man. This nameless man. He, 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 we see him in, in verse 30 of our text. Let's read it real quick. Verse 30 says this about this nameless man. Uh, uh, King James Version calls him a certain man. This verse says a man, he is nameless. He does, we don't know who he is, but Jesus says this, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. As we see what lessons we can learn from this nameless man, at first glance, it does not appear. Remember I told you the first three lessons were going to be bad? Y'all answer me now. Say something. Y'all remember that? You do remember that, right? It hasn't been that long ago. You, Amen. At first glance, as we look at this nameless man, it does not appear that he does anything wrong at all. It, it seems, as we look at him, that he's absolutely innocent in the story. And let me say to you that really, actually, he does not purposely do anything wrong, but... In the words of the NFL, after further upon further review, I will submit to you that the text reveals that he does make a mistake. Not purposely. I don't think necessarily that he does this on purpose, but uh, there are a lot of mistakes that are done with good intentions in mind. In fact, somebody said somewhere along the way that the road to, I can say this word, can to hell <laughs> has been paved with good intentions. So just because the intent is good, and I, I, I give that disclaimer because somebody came up to me this morning and said, I had never heard that before. And that was wonderful. I'm glad that you never heard because I said I was trying to bring up some fresh water. <laughs> so, but I do want to clarify that I'm not saying that this man does anything purpose, purposely wrong. He probably has good intentions, but as we examine what he does, I think we're going to find out that he makes a crucial mistake. The mistake he makes is the mistake of digression. Let me explain what I mean. He, he makes the mistake of going. That text says he goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I believe that that is a description of a crucial mistake. Uh, geographically speaking, uh, Jerusalem is higher than Jericho. The reason why Tex says he went down, and it's, it, it's dangerous to go down. Geographically speaking, Jerusalem was some 1,700 feet, and uh, I'm sorry, 3,000 feet and 17 miles higher than Jericho. But not only is it geographically higher than Jericho, Jerusalem is also theologically higher than Jericho. And it's always dangerous to go down in any sense, but certainly it's dangerous to go down theologically. And as we look at it, the reason why I say it's higher theologically is because Jerusalem, many of you know, even today, is considered the holy city. 
It's considered a place of worship. It's considered the Mecca of our faith. It is considered, it's the city of David. It's where worship is being lifted and raised for an almighty God. And it is higher theologically than Jericho. So this man, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he commits this mistake of going down. And it's always dangerous to go down, to digress or devolve from holiness to anything, to the pinnacle of our faith to anything, to the ideal of what God wants us to be, the model of who we ought to be, to go down from that. Again, I don't know if he thought about it, but I think, you know, he made a mistake because, and, and we can learn from it to go down from anything uh, to anything from holiness is a mistake. Uh, he went down, and it's dangerous to do that. And because of this, the Bible reminds us that he, he, he suffers some severe consequences physically. He suffers, and, and, and I submit to you that if we're not careful, if we don't watch it, any time that, that we digress or devolve from anything that's not holy, anything that is not of God, we subject ourselves to the possibility of falling into danger. This man, the text says, falls among robbers who beat him, who strip him of all of his clothes. Can you imagine this man laying by the side of the dangerous Jericho road with no clothes on, bleeding, half dead, and it would not have happened had he not gone down. But because he does, he falls among robbers. So it, it, it illustrates for us this concept of this mistake of, uh, of digression. These robbers were always there, but it also uh, represents the mistake uh, of, of the social dilemma of being in limbo. Because, and I say that because here this man is. He is not quite in Jericho. He's not quite in Jerusalem. He finds himself stuck in the middle. He's in limbo. And I submit to you that one of the greatest ills that we face in society today is undecidedness. Lukewarmness, according to Revelation, is not good. He says, I'd rather ye be cold or hot, not lukewarm, because if you're lukewarm, if you're straddling the fence, subject to be spewed out. Y'all getting quiet on me. And so he, he, he demonstrates for us the, 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 the dilemma of being in limbo, the dilemma of being lukewarm, the dilemma of being on the fence is not a good thing. But, but, but there is something positive that we take from this certain man. He represents these two bad things, but he also represents the fact that we are constantly surrounded by, by people who are in need. Everywhere we look, we have opportunities. We just heard of one, of some this morning. There are opportunities all around us. Uh, uh, people are in need uh, uh, psychologically. People are in need uh, uh, spiritually. People are in need financially. People are in need uh, relationship-wise. They're, they're there's all kinds of need all around us, but oftentimes we don't see the need and we wonder how we can plug in, what we can do. Uh, we have to know that there are is constant need in this man who's wounded and stripped and bleeding 
on the Jericho Road is an example of, for us that there's always need. Here's the question, though. Here's the question. What do we do when we encounter the needy? What do we do when we encounter? What do we do when we encounter those uh, around us that are in need? There are two options, two lessons left in our study this morning. And from these two lessons that we have left, we'll realize that there are two options that are, that, that are the answers to that question. What do we do when we encounter the needy? Option A deals with um, the religious men. There are two religious men that pass by, right? The text says it in verses 31 and 32. Let's read it real quick. 31 and 32 tell us about these two religious men, and it says this. It says, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 32 says, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These two religious men, the priest who was responsible for conducting the religious ceremonies and, to, and for going before God and representing the people, and the Levite who assisted the priest in the temple in serving the people of God, these two men, these two religious men, because of their standing in the community and their supposed commitment to God and godly ways, uh, the priest, uh, they, they supposedly had this commitment to God. They supposedly exemplified the godly ways that God teaches us, they should have been loving and considerate uh, of this man who lay wounded and half dead. But instead, they both passed by on the other side of the road. They were bad neighbors to this man who was in need. Perhaps, like many of us often, perhaps they were too busy. Perhaps they had an appointment they were trying to make and keep, and they didn't want to be late. Perhaps uh, they didn't have time. Perhaps that was the case. Not sure. Perhaps they were just selfish and didn't care, didn't live up to what God called them to do. Perhaps it was that. Perhaps uh, they found themselves living in a bubble. And if you live in a bubble, you don't, you don't, you don't care about things that happen on the outside of your circle. It's just, it's all about, uh, you know, you and your two and your few and no more, right? It, it, there's no concern about others, but God has not called us to be that way. Uh, he's called us to be compassionate and have concern and be considerate of others. They, they, perhaps, they were guilty of uh, talking the talk and not walking the walk. And let me tell you, we fall into that trap oftentimes. It's so easy for us to... To, to have our, our holy uh, talk and to say the right things and uh, to quote scripture and, 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 and repeat what, what Pastor Eric said Sunday morning. It's so easy for us to do that. But when the rubber meets the road and we encounter somebody on the side of Broadway, we can take it from Jericho and bring it to Broadway, can't we? Amen. We, we encounter somebody. Maybe they haven't been beaten. Maybe they haven't been stripped. But maybe they're wounded in their soul. And maybe they've been stripped of their dignity. And we have to respond in the way that would please God. We learned this bad lesson from these religious men. We learned that it's not the proper response uh, that we ought to make. 
Are we passing by on the other side of the road while there are wounded men and women laying bleeding is the question. That brings us then to the last and final example from this text. And I've already told you a couple of times that the first three were bad. And I told you when we get to the fourth one, you're going to be able to say amen and we're there now. <laughs> We've made it now to the good example. The good example is that of the Good Samaritan. And we find out about him in verses 33 through 35. Let's read it real quick. 33 through 35 remind us about his response. 33 says, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is the example that God wants all of us to follow. This is the example of the Good Samaritan. Ironically, as we look at the Samaritan, Samaritans were hated. They were outcasts. And here, this hated, outcast man is giving the example to other people who were supposedly followers of God of how it is to properly respond to need. We don't really know a whole lot about the certain man, the nameless man, but we can uh, surmise that this man likely was a Jew. And here it is, somebody who's hated by the Jews, somebody who's scorned and looked down upon by the Jews is the very one who comes to his aid and his rescue. He shows compassion to somebody who was different than he was. He chose to be inconvenienced. He chose to be uh, to spend his resources sometimes is going to cost us some things. We're going to have to be inconvenienced. Uh, we may have to spend resources. He chose not only to do that, but he chose to do something that was considered uh, unpopular. It's not always popular or convenient or cheap to follow the example of this good Samaritan. So just a word of warning. If you leave here this morning, and Pastor Eric don't have to clean up too much of my mess in the weeks to come. You leave here this morning and say, I'm going to do what the Samaritan did. I'm going to do exactly what he did. If I see somebody, maybe they're not physically on the side of the road, but maybe I know that they're hurting. I'm going to do what the Samaritan did. I'm going to take him, and I'm going to help him or her. Let me just warn you that it probably will cost you something. You may be late to get somewhere. You may have to spend money that you didn't intend to spend. But the good news is, is that it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Bishop Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of South Africa, says this about compassion. He says, compassion is not just feeling, feeling with someone, but seeking to change the situation. He says, if you're going to be compassionate, be prepared for action. It's going to require action. On that note, I'm reminded of a story. There was a mouse who lived in a farmhouse, in a hole in the wall. And one day he peers out from his hole in the wall to notice that a package has just arrived. He gets excited. He's overjoyed. He's almost like those 70 who came back. He's just leaping on the inside with joy, thinking what kind of food might be in the Is it some new cheese? 
Is it a cake? What's in that box? And as the farmer opens the box, his excitement quickly turns to dismay when he realizes as the farmer pulls out what's in the package that's, that what's in there is a bright, shiny new mousetrap. So his excitement turns to frustration and dismay, and he leaves the farmhouse and runs to the barn house, barnyard yelling and screaming, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. He approaches the pig, and the pig is doing what pigs do. And he says, Mr. Pig, Mr. Pig, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. The pig oinks and oinks and looks up at him and says, I understand that's difficult news for you, but it doesn't make any difference to me. I'm sorry, Mr. Mouse. He leaves from the mouse, and he finds the cow who's chewing his cud, and he says to the cow, Mr. Cow, Mr. Cow, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. And the cow looks up from chewing his cud and says, I understand that, but that is no skin off my nose. <laughs> Leaves from the cow, he notices that the chicken is clucking and doing what chickens do. And he says to the chicken, Mr. Chicken, Mr. Chicken, there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a mousetrap in the house. He says, I will pray for you. <laughs> so the mouse retreats to the farmhouse to face the farmer's mousetrap mouse all alone. Later that night, in the night, over in the night, there's a loud noise that sounds like a mousetrap that has been tripped. Farmer's wife gets up to check and see what's going on. As she walks in, in the darkness, excuse me, she doesn't realize that what's actually happened is that there's been a venomous snake caught by its tail by the mousetrap. I told this story this morning, and somebody out the church said, my, that hit home for us. My husband was just bitten by a copperhead the other day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he, he retreats to the, he, he, he retreats to face the mousetrap all alone. And the farmer's wife is bitten by this snake in the middle of the night, and the farmer wakes up from his sleep, and he takes his wife to the hospital to be treated for this snake bite. Goes to the hospital, she's treated, she's released to go home, but when she goes home, Jason, she has a fever. And all of us know that the best way to treat a fever is with fresh chicken soup. So the farmer takes his hatchet and he goes to the barnyard to retrieve the main ingredient for the fresh chicken soup. The wife eats the chicken soup and unfortunately she doesn't get any better. In fact, she gets worse, Eric, and because she gets worse, the neighbors come by to visit her, and there are so many neighbors that come by to visit her that the farmer doesn't have enough food, so he goes to the barnyard again, and he slaughters the pig in order to provide enough food for the neighbors that have come by. Unfortunately, the wife continues to get worse, unlike my friend this morning who got bit by the copperhead, he got better. She gets worse and she unfortunately dies. And when she dies, the whole town uh, comes by to visit the farmer to console him and to comfort him. And when they came, the farmer didn't have enough food. He wanted them fresh. He wanted them to have steaks. So he goes to the barnyard again, and he slaughters the cow to provide steaks for the guests that have come. Here's the lesson. Whenever... There is a mousetrap in the farmhouse. 
the whole barnyard is at risk. It's important for us to be compassionate for others. It's important for us to care about others. This parable as I prepare to take my seat is not only a picture of how it is that we can better love one another, it's also a picture of the gospel. It pictures the gospel because just like the certain nameless man, we at one point were on the side of the road, stripped and wounded and bleeding. Satan had put us there. But Jesus came by. And Jesus, unlike the religious men, didn't pass on the other side of the road. When Jesus, I can speak for me, I don't know about you, but when he saw me on the side of the road, he came and he gave me aid. He tended to my wounds. And rather than pouring wine in my wound, I was bleeding from everywhere. He didn't pour wine in. He poured in his precious blood. His precious blood. Then He didn't just do that. He paid my debt just like the Samaritan paid the debt of the wounded man. Jesus paid my debt for. Isaiah reminds us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We've been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. How can we be better if we follow the example of the Samaritan. Can we pray? Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for our time together today. We pray, Lord, that we've been made better by your word. For your word is always a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. Bless us now, Father, uh, as we prepare to go out into a hurting world who needs us, who needs you, and share with them that you are the answer. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Well, I have sure enjoyed being your pastor. I'll give you the address to New Days Community Church <laughs> if you uh, decide to take off. It's been great knowing you. But, uh, wow. Ricky, thank you. Praise God for the gospel sounding forth. Amen. And I can't tell you how blessed I am to, to have heard that, to, to sit and to receive the gospel sounding forth from another dear brother in Christ. So have you been blessed? Is that good? Yeah, so good. Let's do this. Let me ask you to stand for a word of benediction, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. I know Ricky would love to meet you. I know Jane and Simeon will delightfully tolerate getting to know you as well. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, and may you reflect it onto your neighbor. God bless. Have a great week. You are dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.